Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. Whether it's with someone close to you or someone you just met, sharing your faith can be difficult, but our God knows the challenge and His Word contains wisdom for how to meet that challenge. In our current series, Living an Intentional Life, we're learning about the five eyes of evangelism. Identify, invest, intercede, inform, and invite. These five steps will help you to build a biblical strategy for bringing the gospel to others and watching for God to multiply your efforts. We're glad you're listening and we hope this series will renew your commitment to spread the good news. Now let's listen in. Well, standing before you today is a pastor who's been walking the steps of Jesus for the past two weeks. So I hope you've packed a lunch today. Um, I'll try to get you out of here before Christmas. all joking aside, some of you guys are like visiting for the first time. You're like, great, one of those churches. It's not, I, I promise, I'm going to get you out of here before long, maybe. Um, but God is doing something so incredible in the world, and it's just such a blessing to see it and to see uh, the Bible come to life in a way that I never have before in my 41 years of existence. And so it radically has changed my life to be able to study and see um, the gospel in its original places and its context and to see uh, and walk some of the places where Jesus was teaching in Israel. And so I I thank you guys so much for your prayers and for your support and for asking and checking in on us, which really, really appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to sharing more with you about that in the days and weeks and literally years uh, to come. But this morning, I'm excited about where we're headed with this living an intentional life, because I don't know about you, but I've realized most things in life that are worth doing take some intention, don't they? We don't just naturally graft towards the things or, or, or kind of move towards the things of intentionality if we don't work at it, if we don't put some work into it. And so today's all about what it means to inform and to share the life of Christ and the hope and the teachings of Jesus Christ with other people. But I know that for a lot of us, we're already uncomfortable. I've only been in the, me- in the message for like 35 seconds, and some of you guys are already uncomfortable. You're thinking, I like this concept in general, but it makes me really nervous, or it makes me really uncomfortable to think about how it would share, or how I share that, or how I push through those feelings of awkwardness to share the hope of Christ with someone else. So I thought seeing that you're maybe uncomfortable already, I would just go ahead and share with you some other things that you can share in conversation to make awkward conversations, okay? If you guys want to have awkward conversations, I'm going to give you some surefire ways to do that. Okay, so here's some surefire ways. If you want your conversation to be really, really uncomfortable, just ask somebody or or tell somebody that you developed a rash recently. (laughs) I mean, that that, that will close the conversation. Surefire. I mean, just, you know, the word rash in conversation, it, it closes it down. Talk about politics in a group of people that you don't know where everyone stands on the political spectrum, and some feelings of uncomfortableness may come in that moment. Go through your medical history in grand detail with a stranger. (laughs) Just kind of lay it all out on the table with someone you've never met before. I promise you it will be really, really uncomfortable. Maybe you see someone and they've gained a little weight. Be sure to share that with them. (laughs) Notice you've added a few pounds recently. I mean, that will just really, if you're trying to get out of a conversation, you say that, I promise the conversation will end. In that moment, or how about a young mom, you know, you see her and she's just really trying to figure out life with a newborn and you say, man, you look really tired. <laughs> Don't say it. And then the claws come out and hands around your neck. And you're like, I, I, you know, it's just, there's things that we can say in conversation that will make people uncomfortable or make people awkward. And, and by design, some of us feel uncomfortable. 
when it comes to informing other people about Jesus Christ. In fact, I find it sometimes awkward whenever I share with people what I do for a living. I'm not ashamed at all of being a pastor. I love being a pastor. I love to talk about Jesus with people, and I love to talk about being a pastor. But when I'm meeting someone for the very first time, and they're in marketing, and they say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. I kind of get that look of like, oh, great. This guy's getting ready to hit me over the head with a Bible, or they start apologizing for all the profanities they have said in the last five minutes, and I'm like, it's okay, you know, it's it's fine, Um, you know, and you can just see it rehearsing in their mind, did I say that word to this guy who's a pastor? But our focus of the message today is the fourth of the fifth I in this living an intentional life, and it's all about informing people, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And sometimes we think that sharing Jesus with other people is going to make the conversation just reach a dead end. But our hope and our prayer today is that we'll help you see not an awkward conversation, but rather a life-giving conversation. To be able to say, Jesus Christ has changed me so much that I cannot help but share it with you. And I want to share it with you, and I find joy in sharing it with you, informing you about the hope of Jesus Christ. And so for those of you who are with us for the very first time today, I'm so glad that you're here. And we're at week four in this sermon series, and three weeks ago we talked about identifying people in your life that may not have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And then two weeks ago, we talked about what it would mean to invest in those people, to really get to know them, to serve them, to build relationships with people beyond just the surface level. And then last week, we talked about what it means to intercede, to bring the needs of others before God and to ask God to to move in their life and to meet them particularly where they are. And today we're looking at what it means to inform, to share that hope of Christ with others. And next week we're going to talk about what it means to invite people, invite people to maybe a, a gathering here at church or to invite people into that relationship with Jesus Christ. So my prayer is that all of us today would walk away with a real clear sense of what it means to share hope and how to share hope, and how to practically be better at that, and to work through some of those feelings that we may have about it right now. And so just know that I'm grateful that you're here. I'm excited about our time together. And so with that, I'd love for us to pray and just ask God to particularly show us what it is he wants to show us today. So Lord, thank you for meeting us here today. I'm just grateful for each and every person who has been here, and I pray, God, that you would change us, and that you would mold us, and that you would shape us, and that you would make us more and more like you. God, you are so good, and I pray that because of the goodness of God that we have experienced, that we would share that hope with others. We're so grateful again, God, for who you are, and for you meeting us here. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Now, for those of you with us for the very first time, you may have missed what we did three weeks ago when we asked you to identify some people in your life that you're praying for. Identify some people in your life, particularly we said five people. Who are five people in your life that over the course of this sermon series you want to grow in intentionality in those relationships with? And I hope that you're taking that seriously and that you're praying for those people. Maybe it's a family member or maybe it's a a child or maybe it's a friend or a roommate or so whatever the case might be. And my hope and my prayer is that by the culmination of this series that you'll feel equipped and that you'll say, you know what, I, I want to lean into those conversations and I want to share with them the hope of Christ. Now, one of the questions that often gets asked about informing other people about Jesus is the why. People will say, why is it necessary? Why do I have to share? Why is this a command that God has given us? Why is this something? How does God use my words to inform someone else about Jesus Christ? Perhaps you've heard the very notable phrase by St. Francis of Assisi, who says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And as much as I like the sentiment behind that quotation, I really do. 
And I think there's some great nuggets of truth in that quotation. But that quotation in and of itself falls a little bit short because it says that all I really have to do is act a certain way and live a certain way, and you'll know about what Jesus has done for you. And there's obviously some amazing core truth in that quotation. But the reality is, I have to inform people about the person of Jesus, and the way that I inform them is through my words. I'm 41 years old, and this has never happened in my life. Maybe it has to you. I've never had anyone walk up to me and say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ because of the way you live. I think that our actions help people understand Jesus. And you've heard me say time and time again here that if you say something and you live a different way, what are people going to believe? They're going to believe how you live more so than what you say. So do not hear me say that your actions are irrelevant or your actions are unimportant because they are. But yet it's crucial for us to understand this fourth I of this sermon series about the importance of informing. It's not just about my actions. My actions are a part, but they're not the totality of how God uses me and how God wants to use you. Look at 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. Did you catch that? Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. If you go to that phrase, give an answer, and you go back to the original Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, it wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek, and we translate it over, and many of you are language experts, and you realize when languages get translated, sometimes you lose the nuance of that word, and so this is one of those cases where give an answer is a very appropriate phrase, I mean, we can understand it, there's nothing wrong with the English translation, but when you go back to the Greek, you look that that word is actually apologia, and apologia is a legal term. And so it's a term that someone would use in a court of law when they are standing up giving a defense for their case. It's where we get the English word apologetics, defending your faith. And so this verse isn't saying that you and I just kind of have to have a few pithy statements or that we can just kind of say the name of Jesus and everybody will understand. No, we have to be able to defend why this matters to us and to be able to proclaim how Jesus has changed us and how Jesus wants to change you in that process. To be able to give that reasoned defense of the person of Christ. In fact, if someone were to come up to you today, maybe it's an elevator on your way up to your office tomorrow, and someone were to say, tell me about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Why should I have hope in Jesus Christ? Would you be able to answer that question? Would you be able to share with someone in a really quick, succinct way about who Jesus is, what he has done for you, and what he can do for them. And if you're here and you're saying, I don't really know that I could do that, then I don't want you to feel bad this morning. I want to applaud you for being here, and I hope that something that happens in this word today, through the word of God, would equip you and make you more courageous to be able to share the hope of Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are doing it, thank you. Keep doing it. Keep sharing. Keep praying. Keep pointing people to that life that is found in Jesus Christ. But we're told to do that with gentleness and respect, so we don't take the truth of God and just make people feel bad or judge people or hit them over the head with it and say, I'm holier than you because I go to church and you don't go to church or I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you don't. That's not what we do. But rather we say, God, how do I get used by you? And maybe you're nervous in that, and that's okay. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But rest assured, this isn't easy for anyone. 
People who share their faith all the time, people who inform people about Jesus all the time, this isn't easy. It's something that takes, though, intentionality. But I really do believe in my heart that if Jesus Christ has transformed your life, you want to do this. Why? Because he has radically changed you, and you cannot help but desire other people to experience that, right? But yet we get nervous, or we feel uncomfortable. And so as we seek to reframe some of those things this morning, a question that I want to kind of begin with is, it's a very simple question, but it's a, it's a reflective question for you to think about. It's not, a, it's not a question that you have to answer here in this moment, but simply put, are you looking for intentional opportunities to inform others about the hope of Christ? Do you wake up in the morning and think to yourself, I wonder if God will provide me some opportunities today to share Jesus with others? Whether it's through social media or whether it's through a friendship or whether it's a colleague or a coworker or a family member, do I have intentionality? Am I looking for those intentional opportunities to inform others about Jesus Christ? Because see, back in 1 Peter, that verse that we just read a few minutes ago, Peter says that it starts with a reverence in your heart. And so that means that if you and I don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, it should not come as a shock to you or to me. If I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not going to want to share Jesus with other people because I don't have that hope. I don't have that peace. I don't have that life transformation that Jesus yearns for me to have. So it starts with a personal heart change. And I want to interject for a second that if you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know how glad I am that you're here today. And my hope and my prayer is that today, through the power of the gospel, that you would walk away changed and that you would walk away experiencing that freedom that comes through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so it's about looking for those intentional opportunities to share the hope of Christ with others. But a secondary question, you guys are like, you're asking me a lot of questions today. This is kind of like school. Get some homework today. So the second question that I want you to ask yourself is also up here on the screen. Are you willing to step into conversations no matter how uncomfortable you may feel? Are you willing to step into those conversations no matter how uncomfortable you may feel? See, perhaps we're uncomfortable because the Word of God hasn't taken the deepest roots in our life that it needs to take. Perhaps we have a little bit of discomfort or awkwardness or feelings of uneasiness because it is not as central to our lives as God wants it to be. I want to direct you to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, is these amazing verses that were given to the Israelites to remind them about what really mattered in their life. In fact, if you have studied Jewish history at all, you'll know that this is called the Shema. And the Shema was the most central teaching to the Israelites. Everything would rise and fall on their understanding of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. In fact, it's the most central teaching in Jewish life today. Again, I just returned from Israel yesterday, as a matter of fact, and, and you see uh, modern-day Jews living this out very practically. And they interpret this verse very, very literally. We don't interpret it literally anymore. But go with me to Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Listen to what God said to his people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And many of you, you may have Jewish friends or you may have been raised in a, in a community that, you know, had a high population of Jews. And, and you'll see 
a very literal interpretation of this verse. And so they hold the word of God very close to their head. And so they'll put Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 in Hebrew, and it will be attached to a little box on your head that's called a phylactery. And this is something that that the Israelites and Jewish people have done for the past 2,000 years. And they'll bind their arms with this strap to remind them of holding the word of God close to them. Now, we literally do not do that today in evangelical faith, but the truth of these concepts should not be lost on us. Because when you go back and look, what was God telling his people? God was telling his people, I want to be the closest thing to you. I want to be what you think about more than anything. I want all of your actions to be representative of the fact that I am in control of your life, not you. And then he goes as far to say, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk around the road and when you lie down and when you get up. I don't know about you, but those sound like evangelistic verses to me. That we are to impress upon our children the truths of God. Your greatest mission field are the people that are under your roof. To impress upon the hearts of the next generation, your kids, your grandkids, your your aunts, your uncles, to let them know that Jesus Christ wants to change their life. We are to talk about them as we walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. So see, this concept of sharing the hope of Christ with a lost and broken world was not something that was just ushered in when Jesus was born. This was something that from the beginning of time, we are to be sharing and we are to be proclaiming to share that hope and to share that life because he has commanded us to go. And maybe, again, those thoughts make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. You don't know where to start. You don't know how to practically share with someone else. And so if you're looking for kind of some clarity on what do I share, how do I inform other people about Jesus Christ, I would direct your attention to kind of the big idea. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear this. Because, see, this is where you start. This is what's most important when you inform other people about Jesus Christ, keeping Jesus central is the primary goal of informing. If I want to inform, where should I start, Pastor Jason? Keeping Jesus central is the primary goal. You keep Jesus central in your conversations. You keep Jesus central in the words that you share. You keep Jesus central in the things that you post. You keep Jesus central in the, in the life that you live. And that messaging is what changes a person's life because see, that's what changed you. And that's what changed me. And God wants to use us to change other people. It's that central message. Now, central messages come to you all the time, and you don't even realize it. It's this brilliant thing called marketing. Some of you guys are in marketing, and marketers are so smart. Because they realize, well, if I can help you understand the central message, then you will never forget our product. Like, for example, if I were to put up on the screen a big pair of yellow golden arches, you would know that is what? Yeah, you can talk back to me, McDonald's. If I were to say... What is the central message of Nike? When you go to Chick-fil-A and you say, thank you, what does the person on the other side of the counter say? You guys have beautifully proved my point. I didn't have to call you ahead of time. I had to post on Instagram last night. I'm going to ask you this question tomorrow at church. Go to Chick-fil-A and say thank you so that you can know. Those are embedded central messages in these organizations. And you knew that without even thinking about it. Someone is trained at Chick-fil-A. When someone says thank you, they respond, not with your welcome, but with my pleasure. It was my pleasure to serve you in those moments. So when we think about being a follower of Jesus Christ and proclaiming Jesus Christ with others, 
Sometimes we get lost in all the details and all the minutiae, and we have to get back to the fact that I've just got to keep Jesus central. Keep the person of Christ, what Jesus has done for me and what Jesus yearns to do for you, central in all of our messaging. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 20 gives us some further insight in what it means to keep Christ central. We're told by Paul that we are Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Did you know that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are an ambassador of God? In fact, one of my life goals is to be an ambassador from the United States to some country where nothing ever happens. You know, I don't want to be an ambassador to like a war-torn country, but like the ambassador to Tahiti, you know, like the U.S. ambassador to French Polynesia, you know, somewhere out in the Pacific where people only go to see really blue beaches. You know, that, wouldn't that be fun? Like, how do you sign up for that? How do you get that kind of appointment? But when you think about that, whether you're an ambassador of the United States or whether you're a brand ambassador for a company, what does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents the leader. If you're a brand ambassador for fill in the blank, you speak on behalf of that brand. If I'm an ambassador of the United States, I speak on behalf of the United States of America, and I represent the president and the Congress and every person in the United States of America. I am the ambassador that speaks on behalf of you. And then you go back to 2 Corinthians, and Paul says, you and I are ambassadors of God. We speak on behalf of God. Some of us have shortchanged your job description as a follower of Christ. We're not taking as seriously what it is that God's asking us to do. We are an ambassador, and we go to a lost and to a broken world, and we say, be reconciled to God, and God uses you as a mouthpiece to bring hope to others. Is that cool or what? Let me ask that again. Is that cool or what? That we get to be a spokesperson for God. We get to share that hope, and we get to share the freedom that we have experienced What better place for us to grow in our ambassadorship, if you will, than to understand what Jesus has done for me and how I can share that with others. He reconciled me and he found me. Some of us have been living our life and we have just forgotten what Jesus has done for us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that Jesus has saved you from eternal separation from him. Jesus has given you hope in the midst of your despair. Jesus has reminded you that you don't have to be anxious for the things of this world anymore, that the agenda of this world doesn't have to dictate to you, that you can find freedom and peace in Jesus Christ. We forget sometimes, don't we, just how far God has brought us and what he has saved us from. He has saved us from our sin. He saved us from our brokenness. One of my favorite definitions of evangelism is from a guy named D.T. Niles, and he says, and I quote, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I love that. I forget sometimes that I'm a beggar who's in such need of a Savior. And I'm hungry and I'm yearning for hope in my life. And evangelism, informing others about Jesus Christ, it's realizing that I'm a beggar and it's going to you who are also beggars and saying, this is where you find the bread. This is where you find the freedom. This is where you find the life-giving water. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves that we don't need to put on ourselves because, see, we forget that we're beggars in need of bread, pointing other beggars to the bread of life. And so prayerfully, we will grow in our understanding of what you see here on the screen is that when it comes to informing, your role is to inform. 
But God's the one who changes the heart. Your role is to inform, but God changes the heart. Look at Luke 10, 8 through 11. This is a teaching of Jesus that sometimes confuses us, and we don't understand what Jesus is saying here, but we're going to kind of unpack this here in just a second. Jesus says, when you enter a town and you are welcome, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I honestly think that some of us lose our way in spiritual conversations because we feel responsibility for things that we never need to feel responsibility for. We think, I'm going to say something that's going to mess this person up, or I don't have all the answers, and so I don't know what to say. But we realize that it's our responsibility to share, and it is God's responsibility to change. I love each and every person in this room. Even if I don't know you, I love you. But you are not good enough to change anybody's life. Neither am I. We can't do the changing. We can't do the saving. We can't do the transforming. Who does that? God does. But you're an ambassador for him, and you speak those words, and God uses you to help another person be changed by Christ. You play a very significant role in that. So you don't need to have this savior complex that it's my responsibility to change everybody, but we've got to point people to the savior. They need you to introduce them to the savior. Now, if you look at the specific instructions of Jesus, though, to his disciples, again, it's a little bit harsh to hear because Jesus says if you go into a town and you share the message and the message is not welcomed or the message isn't received or maybe the message is even rejected, you realize it's not about you because you're not God. You shake the dust off your feet and you keep going. It might sound harsh, but it should serve as a stark reminder that Jesus is saying, I want you to share with gentleness and respect, First Peter. I want you to share it in a loving way. But if that message isn't received, that's not a poor reflection of you. And some of us have held guilt of that. Maybe you have a wayward child and you've been praying for your son for a long, long time or your daughter for a long, long time. I have yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ and you're feeling all of this guilt. And I want to let you know that if you're doing the sharing, you have done your role. You live it out. You share the hope. You share the truth. God is the only one that will change a heart. So the only real way that you can mess it up is to just not do it. The only real way that you're going to be disobedient and make a mistake is to just not share at all. Have you realized that there's lots of things in life that we think are just going to kind of, we think it's going to get better by doing nothing? You know, if you have like a crack in the foundation of your house, doing nothing is not going to make your foundation stronger. You've got to repair it. Or maybe there's some really tense conversation that you're not wanting to have, and so you just keep pushing it off, and you allow 10 years to go past. Did that situation get any better? Over 10 years? No. Doing nothing didn't help at all. And so when it comes to growing in a relationship with Christ and informing other people, our role is to share. God is the one who does the transformation. And as I stated earlier, if Christ has transformed you, I believe there's a desire to be involved in sharing that with others. And so I want to walk you through something that we provided for you today. And this, this, there's nothing that's, that's magical about this God's good news pamphlet that we have given you today, but I hope that you received one of these today. And what we have done is we put together for you uh, just some, some, some truths, some things that maybe would be helpful to you. And for those of you that like a good paper copy, here you go. And for those of you that like something a little more digital, go to our app and you can find all of this on our app. 
Or you can go to our website and download the PDF if that's something that's a little bit easier for you to navigate through. And so this is just some information. It's, it's a way for you to be able to have a spiritual conversation with someone. So I want to walk you through just a few things. And so many of you may have seen this before. You may have heard it referred to as a bridge illustration, about an understanding of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so we have this core truth, and that's that God created us to enjoy a personal relationship with him and a purposeful life. Did you know that of the 8 billion people in the world, God created each and every one of them have a relationship with him. And he's called us to be an ambassador to point them to the truth. So here we are. That's you, okay? If you find yourself, it's kind of like you're looking for a map. You are here. Where are you? You're us. You're not God. Now, I hope that didn't come as a shock to you guys. You're not God. We like to think that we are sometimes, but we're us. That's all of us. And we're really, really broken. And there's something that separates us from God. And why do people not have that close relationship with God? It's because of sin. Sin separates us from God. And so I want you to imagine for a second that you're standing on a cliff. And you got where you want to be over here. So I'm here and God is here. And that sin is what separates me. That's scripture. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is what separates me from God. So how is that chasm broken? How do I deal then with my separation from God? What are some of the things that you and I try? Some of us say, well, I can get closer to God if I have good church attendance. Or maybe I just live a moral life. Maybe I live good deeds. See, the world would say that for my life to be made right with God, I just kind of live a moral life and I don't mess up too badly. Or I have pretty good church attendance and so therefore I must be okay with God. But rather, it's not those things that bridge that gap. So what can be done about our separation from God? There's only one thing that will truly bridge that gap, and it's the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. God is the one who made a way through Jesus Christ for us to be made whole. And perhaps you would have an opportunity to share this with someone. A way that I have found to be very, very helpful, maybe you just have a napkin. You're sitting on an airplane, you've got that little beverage napkin or you're sitting at work and you pull out a little piece of paper and you draw two little cliffs and you say, hey, okay, you're here and God's here. What gets you from point A to point B? What are the ways that you try to be made right with God? And you're going to get some answers that sound like moral living, church attendance. I don't use too much profanity, you know, whatever the case might be. And those are all attempts to be made right with God. But the cross is what bridges the relationship with God. God. And how do I walk in that? It's only by genuine faith. It's by genuine faith. And this is where it gets really tricky because faith is things that I can't see. And it's believing that God sent his son Jesus for me to have life and for you to have life. And so it's helpful to help people understand what does that genuine faith look like and where are you in that continuum? Because see, genuine faith is about my mind. It's about my will. It's about my heart. And that I have to have faith in each of those areas. And then you're asking people, they'll, where then are you? Where are you then in this continuum? Where are you now? And you can give people one of four choices. And choice one is I'm really far from God. I'm just not there. Choice two is I'm ready. I want my life to be made whole. And then choice three is I've made that profession of faith and my life has been changed and then step four is I'm over here walking with God and I want you guys to hold on this slide for just a second because each and every person in this room is at one of these categories every person in this room is either a one two three or four you're either far from God 
or you're ready to make a profession of faith to follow Jesus, or you've just made a profession of faith and there's some next steps that you need to take, or you're in step four, which is you're growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so then you're asking people and you're helping them understand what those steps of faith look like. And how do we grow? How do we take those steps of faith? It's through prayer. It's through trusting God. It's through discerning and believing and asking God to meet us where we are. Now, is there anything, again, that's earth-shattering about what we've just walked through? No, but it's the truth of God, and it's a way to present it to someone in a very easy, in a very simple manner, because a lot of us are visual learners, and if you draw a little mountain and draw another mountain and ask someone, how do you get from here to there, every person will say, a bridge, unless they're really active and they might talk about rappelling or a rope swing or whatever the case might be. And so we have a concept of understanding. Separation means that something has to be the bridge. And it's a prime opportunity for you to talk through Jesus being the bridge, the cross being what connects us and what guides us. And hopefully that will help you as you prepare. And so I don't encourage you that you have to go into every conversation tomorrow and be like, let me consult page eight. Where are you in here? But it's a tool. And maybe you would really take this seriously and say, you know what, I want to commit some of these things to memory, and I want to commit some of these verses to memory to help me better inform someone else. But I live it out. I I share those words because my lifestyle is huge, but it's not just my lifestyle because, see, it's about informing. When Romans 10, 17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing, hearing the message. It's heard through the word about Christ. And so if some of these verses stick out to you, perhaps I would recommend that you take your Bible and you actually highlight some of those verses. And you highlight some of those verses that will help you to to be able to reference them. So if you're nervous in a conversation, you're not trying to scroll and find those verses in Romans, but you've got them right there highlighted. I found one of the best ways if you're informing someone about Jesus is don't just read the words to them. Don't be like, listen to what I have to say, lady. Give them your Bible and say, would you read these words yourself? Because faith comes through hearing, and hearing comes through the word of God. It's a very clear way to walk people through the power of the gospel. So how then do I get into those conversations? How do I bridge the gap? How do I listen for things in conversations that would help me to identify where someone might be? Well, it's why this series has hopefully been important to you because it starts with identifying people that you know are far from God. And then it's about investing in their life and getting to know them and then you're building rapport and you're building, you know, an opportunity to be able to know their strengths and to know the things that make them who they are. And then these conversations become a lot more natural. Then you begin to intercede on behalf of them. I promise you, if you have those five people in your life and you have identified them and you've spent some time with them over the last three weeks and you've prayed for them every day, I promise you the ground is really ripe (laughs) and ready for transformation. And then these words and these actions begin to be just water that's poured on a seed that's already planted by God. And God uses you. Sometimes conversations happen quicker and easier than others, but perhaps there's some actionable steps that you can, can think through. I hope and pray that you'll listen for opportunities. Listen for phrases. Sometimes we just don't listen to people that we want to have a spiritual conversation with, and they tee it up all the time and we miss it. 
and they give us these prime opportunities to lean into spiritual truth and we just miss it. One of the greatest things that you can listen for in someone else's conversation, listen for what they're struggling through. Listen about the things that are causing them to be stressed. And that's a prime opportunity for you to kind of turn the conversation and say, I hear that you're stressed. Can I tell you what I do when I'm stressed? I pray when I'm stressed. And I know that God hears me. And see, it's a prime opportunity to help a person understand you don't have to be under the weight of all of that stress and anxiety, but rather you can experience freedom in him. Look for practical ways to serve people. I think the more we serve people, the more we invest in people, the more that we do earn the right to say things and to call them to difficult truths and to help them understand what it means to live a life of Christ. One of the most powerful things that you can do is ask someone if you can pray for them. If you have a coworker and they're going through something that's difficult or some season or you know they're far from God, maybe you would have the courage to ask them to pray for them. And some of you guys, I can see it in your eyes, you would say, I don't know how in the world I would say that. How would I ask someone that, that I'm a coworker with? Or how would I ask a friend, you know, can I pray for you? Or how would I ask a stranger that shared with me something that was going on in their life that was really difficult? How would I ask them if I could pray for them? Because they will think that I have lost my mind if I ask them to pray for them. But I want to give you a, just a guess. You can just guess if you want. And again, my 41 years of existence, I've asked a lot of people, and I don't say this to brag, but just whether it's a gas station attendant or somebody you're sitting next to on a plane or a friend or a neighbor, would you like to take a guess as to how many people have said no when I've asked them, can I pray for them? One, 12, zero. I have never had anybody say no. And now maybe you have. And I don't want to make you feel like, oh, well, he, hasn't, he doesn't know the people that I'm around because they were much more obstinate to spiritual truth than I was. No one. I've never had anybody say, get away from me, you wretched, closed-minded Christian. I don't want you to pray for me. In fact, the inverse has often been the case. Oftentimes, you're not met with hatred and animosity as much as you're met with tears. Because you see them. And I don't have to remind you guys that we are living in a world right now where people are just not seen. Nobody's paying attention to the things that you're dealing with. Nobody's walking with somebody that's, they've experienced some lows, or they've experienced some grief, or they've experienced some loss, or life just isn't what they thought it would be. And you step into their life, and you listen to what they're going through, and you see them, and you don't judge them for what they're going through, and then you love them enough to say, can I pray for you and what you're going through? And I, I might be wrong, and you can email me later, we can grab coffee, and you can say, you are so wrong with that, and, I, and I'll believe you, but I believe in my heart that that's going to be the exception and not the norm. Most people are going to say yes, because you cared enough about them, and you saw them, and you believe that God can change or God can hear what they're going through, and so I ask you to just step in to those conversations, invite them to come here to church. I promise when you invite people to come, we're not going to stand out there at the door and be like, okay, line up in order of your sin. Okay, you're at a 10. You can't come. 
We want this to be a place where people are loved and when they're cared for and when they know that Jesus is the only one that can save them and Jesus is the only one that can make their life right. So where do we go from here? Maybe you've got all the reasons that this isn't going to work. In fact, I want to close today with this because it's important for us to know this because I'm here just as much as you are here. If you're looking for a reason to not inform others about Jesus, you're always going to find one. I hope that you're excited and I hope that you're ready to go and to share Jesus. But what's going through our minds right now, some of us, it's a lot of the reasons that this isn't going to work. And if you're looking for a reason to not inform others about Jesus, I promise you, you're not going to have to look very hard. You're always going to find a reason. But Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. And the power of God brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the gospel because in the gospel there is power. Now, maybe your life is too busy. Maybe you don't have any margin in your life and you need to slow down a little bit because there's opportunities that are just whizzing by you and you're missing them. And perhaps that would be your takeaway. Or maybe you say, you know what, I just don't know what to say. Well, that really doesn't stop us in any other area of our life. I mean, think about it. Do you only talk about things that you're fully informed about? I mean, it's dangerous sometimes how little I know about something that I'm an expert in. And yet, when it comes to what's most important, we'll allow our inability to answer every question that someone may have to hold us back. What if someone asks me a question that I don't know? Lean in. I give you full permission to say, I don't know. If someone asks you to answer a question that you don't know, just say, I don't know. But I'll try to find out. And we can meet and talk about that. Or maybe you would say, I don't want to be pushy. Seems a little pushy. Because what you're saying, Pastor Jason, sounds a lot like that lady at the mall kiosk who's trying to sell me like a hair curler or some skin cream that I don't want. You know, and they've kind of assaulted you right in the middle of the mall and they're, grab your hand, you know, and you're like, it, this feels a little bit like that. But see, what he or she's trying to do is to make a sale. What you and I are trying to do is to share hope. We're not selling a product. We're not parading someone on a used car lot and being like, look at Jesus, and he's, you know, he's the one thing. Look, look at all of these details. We're saying Jesus Christ has changed me, and I cannot help but share it with you. And I don't want to do that in a pushy manner. I want to do that in love, and I want to do that in respect. But I also want to realize that people's eternities are in the balance here. And so how can I take everything that I've learned today and put it into practice? Well, I identify, I invest, I intercede, and then I inform. So my prayer is that all of us would engage in those conversations. And I'm praying that you'll have boldness this week. And I'm praying that God, as he has changed you and as he has radically changed your life, that you would boldly share that with others. Inform them about the hope of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would do it today and that we would do it tomorrow, and that we would do it with boldness and love and courage and respect and gentleness because he has changed us and the world needs to know. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting Podcast, 
Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app or follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful you spent some time with us today. See you next time.